All right, it's time for your Miami Sports Pod. Will Manson, Clay Furrow, Dookie Lang, buckle in for the ride because we are going all over the place, kind of like the bounce of a Kawhi Leonard game-winning shot. <laughs> We're going to bounce around some topics because it is the uh, summer. I don't want to say doldrums, guys, because usually it is slow in the summer, but we've got a lot to discuss, just different topics. We'll get to the Dolphins in a moment, but I think anyone who listens to the pod knows we tape on Sunday nights with a preview for the week and with kind of the storylines that, that we think are important. And, boy, we're all coming off watching Kawhi Leonard just hit a crazy, crazy shot. Your first thing when that shot went in, Clay, that came to your mind was what? Well, for me, because I grew up, believe it or not, a Laker fan, because I grew up and we had one of those old-school satellite dishes. We used to watch Prime Ticket. And actually, the reason why I'm in this business is because I used to listen and watch Chick Hearn, who was the longtime Lakers broadcaster. And so I grew up watching the Lakers. I was a big Magic Johnson guy and, and Kareem and James Worthy. But it reminded me of the shot that Akeem, uh, excuse me, Ralph Sampson hit to beat the Lakers in the 1986 NBA playoffs. And and he got it. If you go back, YouTube it. Mm-hmm. Ralph Sampson, 1986, beating the Lakers. They throw it into him, and he taps it over his head like volleyball style, and it bounces on the rim twice and goes in. And that's what I thought of because that eliminated the Lakers. This one, though, a game seven. I know the Allen Houston shot is what people around here. Well, remember. that that's where I was. That's the yeah. first one that came to my mind because that Allen Houston shot was actually, if I'm not mistaken, I'd have to double check. Was my first year at Channel 10 was 1999. It was the 99 oh. playoffs, uh, and Allen Houston. It was a one versus eight, I think. Or was it, I think it was a one versus eight. I think the Heat were the one, and the Knicks were the eight. So it was a strike year that the Knicks ended up going to the finals, right? That'd be ninety nine. I think you're. Uh, yeah, yeah, that would yeah. be ninety nine. Yeah. yeah, it was that year. So uh, trust me, most Heat fans want to forget anything that happened yeah. after that. And it was just one of those things where you saw it bounce. Now the Kawhi shot was a little different because it seemed like it bounced fifteen times. <laughs> where the Allen used to I remember the one bounce and then the little trickle and it went in. This one just lasted forever. But it's just the beauty of the playoffs and the emotion of Kawhi and. And the reason why we're all so excited and hopeful that the Heat can finally get to that point again it's in a couple of years, because it's been so much fun watching these NBA playoffs. Moments like this, the Lillard game winner a, a few games back, they end up, of course, winning the series. It's just great to watch. Yeah, that was great theater. I mean, the game was kind of interesting because Kawhi was the only one on Toronto who wanted to take a shot. We looked the only one on any team that looked like he was <laughs> comfortable in going to win that game. So Philadelphia had the better it looked like overall team, but it didn't matter because Kawhi Leonard was playing out of his mind. Um, just fun to watch. You know, a lot of people were complaining about, well, this is a LeBron-less playoffs. What will a LeBron-less playoffs look like? I mean, if you liked basketball, Sunday's games were amazing. Denver-Portland and the 76ers in Toronto and the way that game ended was just incredible. I think I get the sense a lot of people around here uh, don't like Philly because they like to chirp a lot. And so to see them kind of get humbled like that by a Kawhi Leonard shot, I mean, what's amazing is just these little moments that have so many ripple effects across the NBA. If that shot doesn't go in and Toronto loses, well, what are we saying about Kawhi's future, right? So four bounces yeah. and all of a sudden he's, you know, the well, president, still, he's yeah, the president of questions. Canada. Yeah, there's still questions about his future. But now, them, but. you know, uh, you know, Kevin Durant takes one bad step, and what does that mean for the NBA? Yeah, just for for as much as we talk about, you know, the 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 few players who control the league, just these little mm-hmm. little tweaks can have such major impacts. So that ball bounces four times, it goes in. Kawhi's a hero. We get Kawhi and, y- and Giannis. That ball doesn't go in. 
Who knows? Well, I, I think Philly's coach lost his job probably. I, I, I was coached so, age 50 years. I, I, was just, I, was I mean, for four bounces. On the flip side of that, Brett Brown's job. And, and then also, what does Jimmy Butler do? Tobias Harris. Mm-hmm. What did the Philadelphia 76ers decide to do moving forward now with that group? Whereas, had they won, yeah. I, I think you, you make the Eastern Conference Finals with that team, especially with so many young guys. I think the pressure is on to try to keep it together as much as possible. And now, you're right. Brett Brown may be out of a job, and, and this could certainly be a domino that could send Jimmy Butler elsewhere. This week, this offseason is going to be crazy. It now. is, and we're going to talk a lot about the offseason. I'll tell you the one, my final thought on the Sixers, and then I want to get you guys' thoughts on the conference finals, and then we can turn our attention to the Dolphins. My final thought on the Sixers is I feel the same as I did before the playoffs began, and, and that's the Sixers for all the process and the tanking and all the stuff to me have only one player that they have developed that's a player I look at that's a superstar. And that's Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. He is a rare player because the way he plays, he plays big, he plays long, he can go outside. And, you know, granted, he had his ups and downs in this particular series, but the guy is just an absolute warrior, the kind of guy that I want on my team. Ben Simmons, though, you look as a guy, you know, even in a game like this, in this game seven, he can't be that kind of player because he can't shoot. So he can't, everything that's inside the lane, sure, he'll dunk, he'll get a putback, he'll drive, blow by you and throw a dunk now and then. But there is no respect for his game outside of eight, ten feet. I don't know how that's going to change, which means I don't know how much better the Sixers team. And go figure, all the stuff that's happened in the tanking and their go-to player in the playoffs was Jimmy Butler, the guy that they had to go out and acquire. And then, as you mentioned, Clay, there's a question mark if they're even going to have him next year. I, it's amazing how even all the tanking, this goes around with the Heat uh, you know, fans want and desire, even all the tanking in the world doesn't answer the questions. I mean, Joel Embiid is special, but I still think that team's going to, they're going to have to, I don't know about blow up that team, but I will say this, depending on what Jimmy Butler does, if you lose Jimmy Butler, if they don't keep him, what do you got? You got a Joel Embiid who's a machine when he's healthy, and then what? Yeah, I mean, remember James Ennis? He was the the sixth most important player on this team, and and I mean, he couldn't he couldn't get on the floor for the Heat a couple of years ago, and he played pretty well in this series. But I, I think that tells you that. You talk about the development of players, right? And yeah, look, we all want a superstar. I'm not not sitting here debating oh, that at all. We would love to have Joel Embiid. Oh, speaking of bounces, we're going to get a ping pong bounce on Tuesday and get Zion. So that's all. Good. I, I mean, we're calling Who it can't right shoot now. as well, right? <laughs> yeah, he can't shoot an outside shot outside of but eight he's feet. A, his his body type and game is a lot different than Ben Simmons. He, that's he can also he, he also Ben Simmons makes Zion Williamson look like Steph Curry. I mean, yeah. Ben Simmons. Yeah, Zion's not afraid to shoot it. No. We'll see how it translates to this level, but he's not afraid to shoot it. Uh, but what I think you're seeing with Philadelphia, and and I'm a big fan of, of the games of, of a lot of those guys they've got, those those four guys that they've got, but you do have to have those ancillary supporting cast guys around them. Mm-hmm. Look what happened with the Warriors the other night without Kevin Durant. The lineup that they're putting out, Jonas Jarebko comes out and gives you good minutes. Kayvon Looney comes out and gives you good minutes. I mean, you have to have those sort of guys that you develop in addition to the superstar. The Heat have a lot of those guys. The Heat have a lot of those ancillary guys that could really support a superstar. They just don't have the superstar. So yeah. we'll see over the next well, few we'll see, weeks. Look, it's going to be interesting what happens in the offseason. I can't wait to dig into You know how we get. We get in there with conversations with the offseason. We're going to have so many good offseason yeah. chats. Uh, real quick, though, before we turn our attention to the Dolphins, Conference Finals, the way that they sit, you got the Bucks and the Raptors. Like, we were happy we have the NBA Finals. I know executives don't love, television executives don't love the thought of having a Milwaukee or Toronto. Mm-hmm. But, Duke, you mentioned no LeBron this year. The league is a little different. I still, those are the two best teams in the East during the year, two really two of the best teams in the NBA during the year. You still have the Golden State juggernaut out there, and now kind of that young, fresh 
feel to a matchup against a Portland team that's struggled the last few years to even get out of the first round, and now you got the CJ and Dame with the ability to go in the conference finals. What do you like in these conference finals, and who do you think comes out of it? Well, first of all, I, I think you have four awesome teams. Yeah, fun teams. And fun they're, teams. Just, they're just yeah. fun to watch. Yeah. You know, it's funny. When, when Durant got hurt, that was – that was Houston's chance, Game Five. They lost Game Five. It, it was amazing. Can, can I say this? Being, I, I I didn't want to say anything until it was, since we we have the NBA Finals. I'm so glad Houston's out. Well, I, I just can't. It's kind of like them it's kind of like Virginia's basketball. Yes, that, you that's know, a it's, very it's, good comparison. You know, Virginia yes. won the national championship, but they play a miserable style of basketball. But it's amazing to me what we do in the world of sports, and it's so stupid. Steph Curry is one of the greatest players in NBA history, without question. One of the greatest shooters, without question. And all of a sudden, he has a bad game or two, and he's a bum. And it's like, it's the dumbest thing we do. And we do it in 2019. Did we do this 10 years ago, 20 years ago? Is it just Twitter? Because people people crushing Steph Curry. And when Durant got hurt, and this is just my opinion, What's amazing to me about Golden State is Kevin Durant's probably the best player in the NBA right now, and he's kind of superfluous on that team. I'll be honest because with you, I think Kawhi's got that honor now. Because well, Kawhi's the most important player right now because no, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't have defend. Steph, he doesn't have Clay, he doesn't have Draymond. Oh, Kevin Durant's amazing, he but has, but as good as as good as KD, I mean, Durant's is, the best scorer in the league. I think well, I think it's funny because you have you have three of those guys, right? You have Durant, you have Kawhi, and you have Giannis. And then in Portland, you just have McCollum and Dame, who are you just have good players. And I think if you want to talk about you know ABC and having the finals and watching the playoffs, it's fresh blood. Portland's been good for a long time. It's about time they broke through. It's about time that Dame got the shine that he gets and CJ McCullough gets the shine that he gets. It's about time that Kawhi carries a team by himself. It's about time that Giannis steps onto the stage. I think people who like basketball like this. I do, and I I think people that don't aren't necessarily the diehard basketball fans. Like, we're going to watch the finals regardless. We're going to watch these matchups regardless, you know. I still think that there's a general interest in the NBA. I do think that the Warriors dynasty will help in the NBA Finals if they get there. If it's a Portland-Milwaukee matchup, there's nothing I can sell you to the national perspective that'll make the the common, regular, kind of half-NBA fan that just watches big sporting events to have interest. The diehard fan will love it, but that fan, it's going to be hard to sell. I think if, as long as the Warriors are in it, I still think it'll be the national interest because of the whole you know, three beat and, and, and the dynasty and all those things. But for the NBA, from that purpose, Clay, I think this proves the game is in a great place. Even when LeBron, when the, when the next generation comes in, you have this new generation, I think, as you mentioned, Dookie, led by Giannis, that's going to just carry the league and continue to grow. Yeah, I, I think going into these playoffs, if you had told me it was going to be the Warriors and, and any one of the three, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, or Boston, I would have said, okay, that, that's that's great. That's a win for the NBA. And you're right. Uh, I, I've been a huge fan of C.J. McCollum for a long time. You and I have talked about this. I I was low-key hoping that, that Portland struggled again in the, in the playoffs this year because I would have felt they would have felt that urgency to break it up, and they're not going to trade Lillard, but McCollum potentially could have become available. And, and then you see why in Game 7 against Denver. He's just yeah. got that... That 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 Amazing. calm yeah. and, and and he's oh man it was so fun to watch him Duke I want to go back to your point real quickly about Steph Curry and I think part of it is Curry as great as he is and I think you could certainly make the case he is the greatest shooter we've ever seen he has yet 
to win. He's yet to be the guy in the NBA Finals. The first championship that he won, Andre Iguodala wins the MVP. Then they lose the following year to the Cleveland Cavaliers. They end up going and getting Kevin Durant, and Durant wins the next two NBA Finals MVPs. So I feel like there's people are just waiting for Curry to do something wrong because it's like affirmation bias. Like they feel like, okay, well we we're against him already. We feel like he's he's a choker on the big stage when it really really matters. He's not going to be able to do it, and so they jump on him. And how many rings do you have to win before well, before uh, they can't do that? Can't do it on a big stage. No, like, I, I how, get how it. many rings in? I, I get it. I'm not saying it's fair. I I I, I, I really like Curry. Way, yeah, it's the it, way it is. I just think, but but again, that does go back to the whole point about the social media that people are just looking to pounce on it. And by the way, forgetting about the fact he's playing with a dislocated finger. Yeah. So so let's let's figure that into the equation, and we could be having a completely different conversation. Let's say that for whatever reason Durant can't come back, mm-hmm. and Curry ends up going out there and winning, either leading them to the finals or winning finals MVP, I think then you're having a different conversation. Yeah, speaking of the conversation, as we wrap up this part of the of the pod with the basketball, I, you know, the funny thing to me is what I love about sports, Heat fans are rejoicing in every moment of the Sixers losing because there's this natural rivalry with Heat fans and the Sixers over the process and the Heat and the culture and what's right. Just because the Sixers didn't get it right doesn't mean they didn't do the right thing. I mean, I get they tried to do it this way, but I think what it shows is to every fan is that, man, it, it's hard to win. That's why you have to really enjoy those moments. And look how good Toronto has been for a long stretch. And yet here they are in the conference finals again. We'll see if they can finally make it out. This is a great moment, but remember, these this is to get you to the Eastern Conference Finals. They've, mm-hmm. they've taken that step before. It's that next big step. It's so hard. It's the next step for the Sixers that's so hard if it does ever come with this core unit. And it shows you why. Maybe I'm being reflective given that we just finished our Dwayne Wade special that, that's airing, by the way, on May 24th at 8 p.m. on Local 10. We can start plugging. But the fact that we had that for four straight years mm-hmm. when we saw a team get to the finish line four straight years, get to the NBA Finals four straight years, win two of them. So what the Warriors are doing, I truly appreciate because we had it here, and it just shows how hard it is to do. By the way, our sponsor today, Vera Motors, when you spend your hard-earned money in a car, go to a place with a reputation. I promise you there's no business in the state of Florida with a better reputation than Vera Motors. Vera, kind of like New York GMC Pembroke Pines, the Vera family has been serving South Florida for 60 years. For the best deal in South Florida, the best service, Vera Cadillac Buick GMC. Vera Cadillac Buick GMC, 300 South University Drive, three miles north of the stadium, Pembroke Pines. All right, Clay, I'll throw it right to you with Dolphins Camp. You were out at the little, uh, I guess they call it rookie camp, not mini camp. A couple storylines developed. You know, we got to see Christian Wilkins for the first time. We got to see some of the draft picks. They signed everybody. Everyone got in as expected. They also invited Mark Walton, former Kane, Malik Rozier, former Kane. Walton comes with off-the-field questions, which I'll let you get to. And Rozier, come, Rozier comes with the questions of, okay, why? Why is he even invited to the camp? What's the interest there? So you were out there a day, and, and uh, I know you did a story on it for our Sunday night show. What what'd you get from uh, the weekend for the Dolphins? So let's start at the beginning. The first thing was we got a chance to talk to the assistant coaches on Thursday. And, and of course, the big topic there is Josh Rosen. And what do you guys see in him? And, look, the one thing that we're learning quickly about this Dolphins regime is – don't expect the coaches to tell you much, which, by the way, is fine. I have no problem with that whatsoever. And and so they're not going to give us exactly what they're planning on with these guys, but you can start to, to glean a little bit of insight. And what I liked was 
uh, Chad O'Shea, the offensive coordinator, this was our first time being able to, to interact with him, and he said something interesting about Rosen that I hadn't thought of. Okay. Everybody is looking at his 2018 season as a negative. Not necessarily everybody, but as a, a blemish, a question, whatever you want to – want to call it as far as why perhaps you don't make that trade or in the case of the Dolphins why you were able to get him for just a third round pick that it was a a down year O'Shea and this coaching staff view it as okay we've got a guy in this building now that has now gone through some adversity and with Rosen when you look at his background and and growing up a a, a very affluent family and, and very prominent family and uh west coast people who did very very well in California, then he goes to UCLA and doesn't face a, a whole lot of adversity. You 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 start to have those questions, and I remember years ago when you had that draft with Matt Leinart, Vince Young, and Jay Cutler. And I heard a few people say, and and let's forget the Jay Cutler that we saw with the yeah, Dolphins, by the way. Different Jay Cutler. <laughs> P- people were talking about how Jay Cutler had the physical tools. And even though he he didn't have a good record at Vanderbilt, people liked that he faced adversity. And that's exactly what Chad O'Shea was telling us about Rosen. They view his 2018 as perhaps his first dealings with adversity. And they like that. They like that they're bringing somebody into that room uh, whose skin, for for lack of a a better explanation, has been able to get a little thicker before he comes here. Um, So so I thought that was interesting when we're talking about Rosen. On to the Walton stuff. You're basically getting a fourth-round pick for nothing here. And and my understanding is I, I think all three of these cases are set to go to trial in June. And, look, if it doesn't work out, you cut him. And and if for whatever reason he can't play, you've really lost nothing. Uh, but if he can, you get him in training camp and you have him go up against the other running backs you have on the roster. You see, you see how it plays out. And, hey, this team loves bringing in draft picks, and, and we see him stockpiling yeah. them for 2020. Well, you just got a fourth rounder for free. You know, so again, see if it works I was out. A little, part of me was surprised on Walton only because of the position and his upside. I think Mark uh, could be a solid running back in the NFL, but it's so easy to find solid running backs in the NFL. Dolphins drafted one in the seventh this year. They drafted Balage last year. They have Kenyon Drake. I don't see the need to take a chance on a guy that maybe could, uh, I, I guess, affect a little bit of the of the way the look the regime from the outside is on you know hmm. bringing in players who have problems. But I will say this: in a league that has dealt with a lot of off the field issues the last few years. The main focus of the league has obviously been domestic issues and, mm-hmm. and being able to protect that and understand that those players are not becoming other chances. It seems that in this case, and not that I'm comparing crimes or, or charges or anything, it seems that the Dolphins did their homework to the point that they feel comfortable enough with whatever happened, the story that they're hearing from Mark and his representatives, that this will all blow over and that this will be isolated incidents as opposed to a trend. So I can understand that, but I guess what surprised me, Clay, was just I, it's not like you're going out and getting a, a, a lockdown corner or something very difficult to find or a right tackle or a left tackle of the future. The running backs are so interchangeable these days. I found that part of it odd. I, true. It, it's like if you're going to take that risk, then then why with the running back? Yeah, and, why with the, something that's so expendable? And, and what I wonder is is the thought press is there, maybe, maybe the, the, the reverse of that, that because the position is expendable, if something were to happen – then it, it's not like you're relying yeah, you're not, you're not on the on player. It. Right. Yeah. So th- I guess that would be my only answer to that. But, no, I, I think for sure, look, I mean, when we when we found out that he was on the <laughs> the rookie minicamp roster, 
Yeah, it was a huge surprise. Malik Rozier, we found it the night before. And what was, was that all about? Surprise. Why Malik Rozier? Uh, do you want me to tell you what I think it was? Yeah. Because uh, when, when Brian Flores was <laughs> asked about it, uh, I believe Friday, in the days, he made a comment that I did find interesting. And, and you know, everything you hear from the, this coaching staff, they want smart players, and they view Malik Rozier as smart. Mm-hmm. Malik Rozier, because he's able to run an offense – Sometimes in these rookie mini camps, all you want is somebody that can get guys in and out of the huddle. And yeah. Malik Rozier is a smart guy. He's running offense. Yeah. He can get guys in and out of the huddle. And I really think that's all it was. It's, it's, and, it's, and it's fine. It's filler. It's fodder. Whatever yeah. you want to call her. It's it's somebody out there. It's not. Yeah, I guess not, it's not a big deal. I mean, clearly they're they're they've got bigger decisions than what they're going to do, what they're going to see Malik Rozier. It's funny you mention that, Clay, because that's kind of what Brian Flores talked about a lot. They were sort of asking him, like, what what are you doing in these camps? It's a lot of teaching. And I think as fans, you don't think about it from the human perspective, exactly. right? Okay, here's let's take Christian Wilkins, right? First round pick. He walks into the Dolphins building. Where does he go? Where does he get his uniform? Where does he go to get taped up? Where does he go to eat? Where does he, where's his defensive lineman film room? Mm -hmm. I know these sound silly, but like there's an, there's a process. There's a lot that these guys have to learn. They're moving. They're getting a lot of money for the first time. Some of these guys. Mm -hmm. So there's just so much going on. They're not going I, – I think Flores said we're not going into the exotics, right? They're not going mm-hmm. deep into the playbook. Like you said, they just want to get in and out of the huddle, get a snap off properly, just little things just to get their feet wet. I think they just – I personally think that NFL teams like to get guys in as often as possible to make sure they're still in shape. To keep them out of trouble, mm-hmm. to 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 keep an, you know to keep a monitor on them as much as a collective bargaining agreement will allow them, mm-hmm. they just want to see the guys as much as they can. Well, I, and I, so th- in this case, especially with the young guys, just get all the young guys in, get a look at them, show them around the building, get them acclimated. Like you said, bring in some bodies who know what they're doing just so you can sort of run an efficient practice. And then once the rest of the team comes, most of the bodies are – today. Uh, Sunday they signed, what, three guys? One of them was Mark Walton. Mm-hmm. They didn't sign Malik Rozier. They didn't sign a bunch of those guys. They're just they're just people to help them operate the practice. It, there, was a, there was a Pro Football Talk article, I think it was on Friday, talking about how Adam Gase basically scrapped the – Jets version of this, the Jets rookie minicamp, and saying, all right, you know, they're on on the field enough. We don't need anymore. And it 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 kind of hinted that, all right, even though they're not supposed to have contact at these rookie minicamps, that it does happen anyway. And I don't. I I think listening to Brian Flores, and I think this is probably the case. Look, we know that a lot of what Brian Flores is bringing. Wait, to New England, Adam Gase right? thinks he's smarter than everybody. Yeah, seriously, else? right? Well, and, and this article was Are basically. You sure? But, but see, the, this article <laughs> was kind figure. of. But this article was kind of backing him up, and I'm sitting there reading it, and I'm thinking, Dookie, the same thing you are. That no, actually, the importance of this thing is. It's like, I, I can tell you personal experience, right? My first year in college, I went to a small college close to home so that I could get used to the work level of college, 100%. right? So I got, because we all know, they jump from high school to college, work much different. And then I transferred away to Virginia Tech, and then I moved, so I moved then. I, I didn't take all of it in at once. And I think the beauty of these rookie minicamps and how Brian Flores was describing it, and there were a few times when people were asking him questions and he just kind of smiled and, and said what you said. Basically. I'm not look, going there. The, no, it was more, Will, it was more, look, guys, 
This is just the basics. Like you guys are asking yeah. me a bunch of specifics about are we going to do this? Are we? You're like, in August. These guys don't know where the bathroom is. Right. Like, exactly. Exactly. And, and by the way, yeah. Clay, you mentioned getting acclimated. We saw, and we all had some good fun with this, right? Ryan Fitzpatrick that he came in and he was talking about eating birthday cake. Yeah. If you have a, if you have a mini camp, if you have an OTA, if you have, it's a way to make sure these guys don't eat birthday cake. It's a way. I mean, it's yeah. it's. I think it behooves an NFL team, even though it's not a year-round sport, to have a very good idea of where these guys are and make sure they're checking in and being a part of the facility and the team as much as as much as they're allowed. And here's I don't the, think it's a bad idea. No, and, and here's the beauty of it. And this is where I was kind of I kind of shook my head at the pro football talk. I don't think you want to have a whole lot of contact, if any of these things at all, because I think the beauty of it is yes, number one, getting them acclimated to their surroundings, but also. You're dealing with a whole new set of verbiage. It's like a foreign language when you go from college to the NFL with these playbooks. And so what I think is important when you're installing some of the just the base-level stuff in your offense is sit in a meeting room, find find out what the words are, then go out on the field and just walk it through to see what it looks like in motion because so much of this stuff is just – worlds ahead of what they dealt with in college. So I think that's the beauty of these things. And and whereas, and look, I know we've all got stories to, to, to write if you're a sports writer or in our case, stories to put together. The base level of this stuff is really what we saw this weekend. Now, now that OTAs are about to kick off, I, I think you're going to start to see a little bit more, especially with that quarterback competition. The evaluation now begins for Josh Rosen, and I think that's when it really gets important. And, you know, back to your point on Rosen and some of the things, and I agree, by the way, that's something I had actually, I don't want to say thought of, but what I liked about Josh Rosen was that he proved his toughness to me last year to take that pounding behind the worst offensive line in football in a losing atmosphere, changes of offensive coordinator, just a toxic situation with very little playmakers. I actually thought that it was impressive last year mm-hmm. because I don't think you saw a guy that when you watch him play, you say, man, his arm's not as strong as they said it was. And boy, he looks like a statue back there. No, you saw a guy who can move and throw and get out of the pocket. Not a runner, but certainly a comfortable pocket passer that can move around a little. You saw the strong arm as well, and then you saw the toughness. Most NFL quarterbacks go through that really tough first year. And even you look at the last 20 years, 15, 20 years of star quarterbacks, I mean, even Peyton Manning struggled this first mm-hmm. year. 3-13. and 13. You, Eli Manning certainly struggled. You look at the other top quarterbacks in the league, most of them had those bumps early. Now, were they all as bad as being on a on a team like the Cardinals? No. But that wasn't Josh Rosen's fault. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you. I think in a, in a way, he got that ugliness out of the way. And I expect, while I don't know for a fact if Josh Rosen is a franchise quarterback or if he's going to be the Dolphins franchise quarterback, I do think you're going to see a better Josh Rosen this year than you saw last year. I also like getting Josh Rosen on a time crunch knowing he's got one year to get it done, mm-hmm. knowing that if he doesn't get it done, Dolphins are going to have a high pick and replace him. I think maybe one of his characteristics is that he had a bit of a chip on his shoulder. He kind of he kind of played with a little bit of swag. I think it got knocked out of him just by having a bad first year, playing for a really bad team, having a lot of failure, which maybe he wasn't used to necessarily. And then just this situation, it's it's kind of like the Mark Walton deal. The Dolphins are setting up these calculated risks where if things go well, great, and if things don't go well, mm-hmm. cool, no problem. And I think that's 
the way to do it, especially when you're building that you build a solid foundation, but you take these periodic little risks because if they hit, let's say Mark Walton is a hit. Great. Like you said, they got a, they got a free fourth round pick. If Josh Rosen is a pick is a hit. Great. You don't have to look for a quarterback anymore, but he's being put under this time crunch. And I think that's really important. And I also think, Will. I don't think people understand. We talk about the verbiage. I don't think people understand how complicated just one football play, just one play, how many things, just in terms of you're in a huddle, they call a play, the number of of expressions and reads, and then to up that a level, to play quarterback, where you have to go to the line of scrimmage, you have to call the play, you have to get it from the coach, you have to make all the pre-snap reads, Mm -hmm. you have to get the ball, you have to deal with the... so much goes into playing quarterback. You know, I, I watched a, a little uh, documentary, Tom versus Time. Tom Brady's in his 40s. He's still studying it. Mm-hmm. You still have oh, you to study. You, you have, have to, to know study. But he's going and whatever, what everything, every single so, thing that's happening. So throw Josh Rosen into a horrendous Arizona team one year in and evaluate his entire career because he had a really bad year for an atrocious Who's team. Tw- on a 22, for a 22 year old For a 22 year old kid who has every physical tool you can imagine. It seems a little silly to me, and I think the Dolphins are doing the right thing by kicking the tires on them. You, you know, t- it's funny. Is there's a, there's been a turn, it seems like, from the general media, especially locally, yes, that this was actually a good move, where two weeks ago when we had this conversation, it seemed like most people thought it was a bad move. Now, mm-hmm. we all thought it was a good move, mm-hmm. so I'd like to give us credit for uh Does Armando that. still like it? or <laughs> No, but let's face it. A lot of people who covered the Dolphins who were around town didn't like this move. Oh, and I want to go back to Dookie's point real quickly about the time crunch. Guess who didn't have a time crunch? Who didn't ever face adversity? Ever Ryan Tannehill? He was and he so, was a perpetual redshirt. Right. He like he, he could just right. he, he got a right. break every yeah. year. Never had competition. Never had to look over his shoulder. So yeah. now to your point, Will, about I guess the media turning on this and seeing th- that it's a good a good idea. Brian Flores. <laughs> there are sometimes where you can definitely tell Brian Flores looks at the room and <laughs> and is just thinking, "You guys really don't understand how this works, do you?" And and not at any specific right. reporter, but the comment that he made was when somebody asked him, "Are you going to be okay if Ryan Fitzpatrick is the guy, is the starter?" And he said, "Yeah." He said, "I, I can I can evaluate Josh Rosen in practice now." If Josh Rosen can't beat out Ryan Fitzpatrick, then, he's then not going he's to be the, Dolphin. the franchise quarterback. But yeah. I think I, I think what Flores is kind of saying there, shaking his head, and and he laughs because I think he, <laughs> I think he's you know he's still new to this. I think sometimes he's even a little surprised at how little we in the media know about what goes on here. But I think he was basically saying, "Look, you're you're asking me." If I can evaluate a quarterback that I have in the room every single day, that I have out there on the practice field every single day, I see the ball come out of his hand. I see the film of practice. I see the film, whatever game action he gets. You don't think I can evaluate him up against the 2020 quarterbacks that maybe I get to meet with once or twice? And and so I think that's where when you're when you're deciding whether or not this is a good idea or a bad idea, it's two different things. You can say it's a good idea without thinking that Josh Rosen is going to be the franchise Amen. quarterback of the Miami Amen. Dolphins yeah. because you get that time with him in the building. And I think that's what people are finally catching on to, that if he doesn't turn out, okay, fine, but what have you really lost in the I'll end? I'll be honest with you. I, you know, I, I really missed uh, seeing a, a, a rookie free agent or a rookie right tackle that would have been yeah. – <laughs> <you know, laughs> 
again. That, I really missed that this weekend instead of having, knowing that, that you have Josh Rosen for the season. That may not have won the job eventually yeah, anyway. Exactly. I, and by the way, I mean, hey, signing and, – and why am I blanking on the name of the right tackle Mills. right now? Signing Jordan Mills. Look, man, I, I don't – Jordan Mills was not good in 2016 at all. 2017-2018, he, he probably made his way up to average, right? At this point, for a one-year flyer, the ceiling the guy, is the roof. Bring I him in and have a, him compete. Listen, he's he's, he's, he's a warm body, body for three million dollars. He's fine. Team, it's hard to find someone that cheap and experienced yes. to fill. Look, the Giants just did this. They just signed the right tackle, Mike Remmers uh, from uh, from uh, the yes. Vikings, formerly the Vikings. Uh, same thing. When you're a team that you know that you're probably in your one and two, you know, going into a rebuild. You, you just need a warm body who's got experience who can keep you until you find. The Dolphins right. are eventually going to find a right sure. tackle in the draft and, and address that issue. It's just a long time in this rebuild. It's going to take a few years. All right, our sponsor today, once again, Vera Motors. When you spend your hard-earned money on a car, go to a place with a reputation. I promise you there's no business in the state of Florida with a better reputation than Vera Motors. Vera Cadillac, Buick, GMC, Pembroke Pines. The Vera family has been serving South Florida for 60 years. For the best deal in South Florida, the best service, Vera Cadillac Buick GMC, Vera Cadillac Buick GMC, 300 South University Drive, three miles north of the stadium, Pembroke Pines. All right, final topic. I wanted to leave it to the end because uh, by the time you hear this pod and you're listening, it may be Wednesday, Thursday. You might be, you know, finding it on our social media or just whatever and wanting to give it a listen. And by then, we already know that he'd have the 13th pick in the draft. So, uh, but the importance of this draft lottery, it's funny. We all joked about it. The Heat are having a draft lottery party which is not, you know, what is that saying? I mean, it's like, it's almost, I don't even know what that is. I get that they want to get fans out and excited, but we all know there's a 95% chance that, you know, that the Heat are going to get a top, or are going to hit a 13th or the 14th pick of the draft, not a top four pick. But we also know there's a 100% chance that this franchise gets changed much quicker than any of us could have thought if they could somehow miracle luck their way into one of these top picks. So, when you look at this situation, Dookie, is there any hope in your mind, or are you on the, uh, who cares, they're not going to get a top four pick? I mean, of course you care. I mean, if you have a, you know, 5% chance at Zion Williamson or John Morant coming to your franchise and making you relevant right away, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a big deal. Um, I think it's kind of funny, the idea of a party, because the way it works is they announce, and the 14th pick goes to boom, and the 13th pick goes to boom. So That's within, it, party so within about, yeah, <laughs> goodbye, everybody. I mean, it's a quick, don't go to the bathroom, because it's literally, it's, it's very simple. For those who don't understand and listen to this on Monday or before Tuesday night, if the Heat are not the 14th pick, and the Heat are not the 13th they pick, they have a top four pick. They have a top four pick. Yeah. Start celebrating. But otherwise, when you know, you hear Miami, and, when you see the little Miami Heat card at 13, then you look, see Zoe kind of give a little that, that, <laughs> that gif again. where you're, <laughs> uh, uh. I mean, I, look, they didn't tank. This is a team that played it out. This is a team that doesn't believe in tanking. And so, you know, all I remember is Dwayne Wade. They always <laughs> talk about they always talk about the basketball gods and karma, the karma of basketball and all that. All those spoisms. Tuesday night, if there if there are basketball gods and the Heat did right by them, then this would be a good night to cash in those karma chips. Yeah, be because oh not all NBA drafts are created equal, and there are some very, very, in, two in particular, franchise-altering players. And I'm not just bitter because R.J. Barrett missed a free throw and cost Zion a, a trip to the Final no, he, Four. He would, listen, he, he'd be a great player. No, R.J. is a great player, but too. You, you piece in R.J. Barrett? With the nucleus of young yep. guys the Heat have, I mean the Heat. What did we notice in these playoffs? All these teams have 
Very nice young players, and then we keep talking about the superstar that's lacking. Granted, you need that as well. But if you can pair one of those young guys with, yeah. these, I mean, with these young Heat players, I don't know if any of the Heat players will ever take the step to superstar. I think it's safe to say no is the answer. I don't think Justice J. Richard Bam is ever going to be a superstar. They're not. Look, I mean, we know we we're, we're we see who the superstars are, right? So the superstars right now are Giannis. The superstars are Kawhi. I mean, that's the level. Is, ju- is Justice going to be those guys? Are you a Chris Middleton? Is that, is that what right. one of these guys become? Right. Chris Middleton's pretty darn good. Well, and this is what I think is interesting about this draft. I was trying to think of, and I was looking at the all-NBA teams. I, this is probably the the surest thing at the top of the draft that I can remember since Derrick Rose. Does that sound right to you guys? Because Anthony Davis, I think people knew he was going to be the number one pick, but at Kentucky, he didn't have the offensive game. That people knew his ceiling or his floor was so high because he would come in and, and regardless, he was going to rebound and defend. But remember the national championship game, he was what, like one of 15, something crazy. He even as great as he is now, and he was the number one pick, he was not viewed as the sure thing that Zion Williamson is. And frankly, I don't know, I'm going back in my mind right now and and going all the way back to Derrick Rose, I don't know that there was a number number one pick. This is the 2003 draft to me. I I think it's close. I I mean, 2003, the the LeBron, Wade, Bosh. I think 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 this is... I mean, I'm saying at the top. Zion at the top two. Top five. Even top five. To me, the depth is not there. To me, this draft is... Look, like you said, RJ could be very good, and there's other guys as well, but to me, this draft is Zion and Ja. Yeah, and looking at the... So I was going back again, and who are the greatest players in the NBA. Okay, Kevin Durant, second pick in the draft. Greg Oden went first in the Astro. But you mentioned Giannis. I mean, middle of the first 15th round, right? 15th pick in the draft by the Bucks. Wow. Oh, Kawhi Leonard was taken. I mean, yeah. uh, so many of these Donovan guys Donovan Mitchell, now, who he just missed out on. They, oh, they got Bam, who's been actually going. very good. But Bam, well, he one pick away at, what, 13? So it's, it's not as though... You, you can look back, and I remember most times, you kind of knew who the number one pick was going to be, like Carl Anthony Towns. I remember he had, had a great workout with Minnesota. But I don't think there's been this groundswell for the top two guys and, and being as close to can't miss as you can remember. So for that, your original question, how important is this? It's vitally important. I mean, if Yeah, I mean, look, look we all know it's a long shot, right? the franchise, man. You get one of those top two, it changes the franchise. And let it me does. go the opposite direction. If you don't, I, I think it may change how the Heat view this offseason because we know Pat Riley does not love draft picks. He does not love guys who are not short things. He sees two guys, I think, at the top of this draft that are probably as close to short things as you're going to get. Do you start making calls and using that pick potentially as an asset to bring in somebody? I, I have a feeling they're going to try to be active, maybe even more so than the last couple of years, and not just because we know what the roster is, but I, to try to get somebody in here. And, and uh, if they don't Riley, get the look, top Riley two. hinted at that in, in his year in press conference, and he talked about that you know there there is flexibility there that they're not locked in that they can make moves, and I buy it. But it's just it's not as easy as obviously just going out and signing a free agent or getting lucking into a lottery you know top four pick and and, and making this pick. So it's Tuesday night, uh, the Heat's future, and I think Heat fans are gonna be holding their breath for all of you know 
four seconds, and then, and then well, they, let me, let me put you, concentrate on the 13th pick. Let me put you this way. When you go when you go to the convenience store, you buy a lottery ticket. How important would it be if you hit for $6 million for your family? Would it help? Yeah, it would help just a little bit. Okay, and well, that's, I, I that's like, what it would mean to the Heat like, if they got I the number like one pick. I would 5% chances on lottery, by the way, lottery <laughs> tickets. I would be buying lottery tickets that's every true. single day. It is a franchise-altering In about moment. 100 days, I would be a millionaire. <laughs> Man, well, I mean, with an extra $6 million, like, you could – I don't know. It would, would be the be Miami like... Sports Pod with Dukey and Clay. I'll tell you that. I wouldn't be uh, plugging Veramortis. I'd be earning it. I'd be, I'd be buying a nice little machine there and moving on. But All right, so Tuesday night is the uh, is the draft lottery. Dolphins, meanwhile, this week there is a scheduled, right, correct? There is a scheduled camp that they're going to have at this point where we'll see some of the veterans uh, get to work and the NBA playoffs roll on as the conference finals are set. You've got the Bucks, you've got the Raptors, you've got the Blazers, you've got the Warriors, and we have got ourselves one Miami sports pod. As always, thanks for listening. Hey, did I mention May 24th, our Dwayne Wade special, 8 p.m. Local 10? Tune in. It's really good. Really good.